Hello and welcome to another episode of When in Spain. I'm your host Paul Burge and well when I normally record these intros I'm normally sitting in my kitchen at home actually but um, well today I'm coming to you from Cartagena. Uh, not to be confused with Cartagena in Colombia or Chile. As always, I must give a special mention and a big, big, big gracias to new When in Spain patrons, of course. So big thank you to Danny Wilson for signing up to support When in Spain. Big, big thank you also to Cristiana. Um, Cristiana, sorry, in your email I don't have your second name. But anyway, I'm sure you know who you are. And also to Tyler Wagner. Big, big thank you to you. A big thank you to all of you, Danny, Christiana and Tyler for signing up to Patreon to make a small donation to help support the podcast, um, to help me cover my costs and to help secure the long-term health and longevity of this podcast, this little corner of Spain that I bring into your ears every week. If you'd like to keep hearing things from me from Spain, about Spanish life, Spanish culture. If you don't want it to end, and, it's, and if, if this is something you would like to keep hearing uh, every week, please consider signing up on Patreon. It's easy to do, it's safe, it's secure. For as little as just $1 a month, $1. Just for as little as that, what is that a month? It's not even a cup of coffee a month to help secure the future of this podcast. I know I go on about it. I know many of you are probably thinking, oh God, here we go. Paul always starts every podcast with going on about Patreon. Well, I'm sorry if you feel like that, but it is really, really important for me to uh, find a way of funding this podcast until uh, such a time arrives that I can get some advertisers or sponsors rather on board. So if anyone is listening out there and would like to be a sponsor for the podcast, please do get in touch when in Spain one at outlook.com. But yeah, I know I'm sorry you hear the same thing every week, but you know, it's very important and um, I couldn't really justified doing this now it's been a year uh yeah it's getting on for about a year and four months i've been doing this just off my own bat just me on my own to bring you this podcast because i love spain i love sharing spain with other people who love spain but realistically i don't think i could dedicate as much time as i do to this without some kind of financial donation contribution from you guys the listeners i really really do count on uh, your very very generous and kind donations to help support a bit of my time in putting the show together and also um, the costs so there we go anyway enough about that if you like the show and you want to be a patron and you'd like to support it you know where to go patreon.com forward slash when in spain back to what i was saying as I'm talking to you, uh, me and Karina and Karina's parents made an unexpected trip actually down to the region of Murcia. Murcia down in the southeast of Spain, about four hours driving from Madrid. Well, we've been staying in the uh, city of Murcia, which is about 45 minutes from where we are now, Cartagena. We've just arrived and parked and we are by the Palacio Consistorial, which is the city hall of of Cartagena, uh, which was built in 1907, and uh, it's a modernist building. There's quite a lot of modernist architecture uh, here in Cartagena. In fact, it's quite well known for its modernist uh, architecture. Uh, the architect behind the city hall here uh, is a guy called Tomás Rico. And uh, so we're in the square opposite the city hall, it's a kind of marble square. It's pretty quiet, there are a few people milling around. 
uh, as I was mentioning before, with cities, as in, uh, uh, just as a little an aside point here, um, many people disappear off to the coast and to the beaches. Now, although Cartagena is on the coast, it's a, a port city. It doesn't have any beaches actually next to the city at all. It's, uh, it's a port city. So we're going to have a look at the, uh, the port and the harbour uh, a little bit later. I think one of the main attractions uh, in Cartagena is the remains of the, well, I say remains, but it's very intact, of the uh, Teatro Romano, which is the Roman kind of amphitheatre here in the centre of the city. We're going to take a look at that a little bit later in the, in the episode. So in this episode, a few dispatches from Murcia uh, while we are down in this part of Spain. We're only here for a few days. And then we're back up to Madrid. So as you listen to this, this would have already happened. I'll already be back in Madrid. Then uh, we're going to head back down to the other side of southern Spain, to Andalusia, in the next couple of weeks, bringing you a couple of dispatches, travelogues, insights into this part of Spain. We're going to be heading down, I think I mentioned down to Cadiz, uh, the Costa de la Luz, the uh, coast of the light. If time permits, we'll be heading across the border into Portugal as well. So bringing you some sights and sounds and insights and bits and pieces from the uh, Costa de la Luz and Portugal and uh, indeed one of my favourite cities in Spain, Cadiz. Although at the moment I've only just arrived in Cartagena and I like it. It's, it's very pretty, very nice. A um, bit of background to Cartagena comes from the Latin eh, Cathargo eh, Nova, Cathargo Nova uh, in Latin. As I said, it's a major naval station uh, in Murcia. The city has about 200,000 residents and it's actually the uh, second largest uh, municipality uh, in Murcia. Murcia is uh, really only two major cities in the region, in this region of Spain. It's pretty rural. So you have uh, Cartagena, which is the second largest municipality, and of course the first is Murcia City. Murcia is the name of the region, and Murcia is the name of the capital of the region as well. So Cartagena has been uh, been around for a long time, inhabited for over 2,000 years uh, before it was founded in 227 BC by the Carthaginian Hasdrubal the Fair, or Ascart Hadasht, which is in Phoenician means the new town, um, which is the same name as the original city of Carthage. The city really hit its peak or came to major prominence or had its kind of heyday during the Roman Empire and it was one of the uh, important cities during the uh, Umayyad invasion of Hispania under its Arabic name of Cartayanat al-Halfa. So uh, much of the historical weight of Cartagena in the past goes to its coveted uh, port, which is a defensive port and was one of the most important in the Western Mediterranean. Cartagena has been the capital of the Spanish uh, Navy's maritime department of the Mediterranean since the arrival of the Spanish Bourbons. It was back in the 18th century. But as far back as the 16th century, in fact, it was one of the most notable ports uh, in Spain alongside Ferrol which is up in the north, which is where we should have been. But that's another story as to why we changed our plans and decided to come south rather than heading up to uh, the north 
southwest of Spain, we come down to the southeast. As I mentioned before, it's famous for a number of landmarks, including the Roman theatre. It's the second largest example of a Roman theatre on the Iberian Peninsula. Uh, the biggest example being in Merida. But the city does have a, a lot of Phoenician, Roman, Byzantine and Moorish remains uh, dotted around. And, as I mentioned, famous for its uh, modernista, modernist or Art Nouveau buildings. The detailed study of these remains has revealed very precise data about the building and the origin of the materials. The study of this theatre and its comparison with other theatres from the Roman Empire had provided an accurate picture of what the theatre at Cartago Nova looked like. We've come into the, uh, the museum of the Roman theatre. Um, to get access to the Roman theatre, you have to pay to come inside the museum, which is actually worth it because it's only six euros. Um, and as you just heard, they give you uh, quite a detailed um, history. Um, it's quite a nice exhibition. Uh, there's also a really nice, cool, air-conditioned space to come into to escape the heat. Uh, today, uh, it's, uh, well, what are we? Uh, 16th of August. It's about 35 degrees outside in the middle of the afternoon, or about half past two, so lunchtime. It always seems to be lunchtime when I'm making these episodes, right? Um, so, but you kind of work your way through a series of exhibitions at the museum, and then you come out actually outside. Uh, you go up an escalator, and you come outside to see the actual uh, Teatro Romano, and, and in all its glory. So that's what we're about to do now. So we've just made our way up three flights of escalators, which take you out into the Roman Theatre. Absolutely beautiful. So it's. Uh, Typical amphitheatre, semicircular um, in shape, with I don't know. We've got the semicircular, semicircular stage, and then I would say probably about 25 steps, in different uh, about 25 different levels. If you know what I mean, you know, with a, a Roman theatre, you have the steps, and then you have like the seating is like a, a giant step. I'd say it's about 25 steps some are kind of like a pink pink colored stone some are gray and then down at the front the semicircular stage can't say the word semicircular um, there are various uh, look like marble columns some of them are completely intact but most of them are not intact. There's probably about a third or half of the column remaining, which I guess would have formed the kind of back of the stage uh, area, really. Um, so yeah, beautiful pink columns with sort of marble uh, stripes, sort of pink marble stripes running through them. And yeah, I would say it's fairly intact really the, the majority of the seating area is certainly very intact and then each side of the the stage the semicircular stage if there's two kind of doorways and above one of the doorways there's a giant kind of lintel gray lintel engraved with uh, letters and I can make out one of the words which is Caesar And the reason it's got the name 
Caesar inscribed in the plinth on the entrance to the theatre there is because the theatre when it was built uh, between 5 and 1 BC was, was built and dedicated to Gaius and Lucius Caesar who were the grandsons of Augustus Caesar. Well, they say that by carving their, their names into these uh, lintels was a bit of a, a bit like propaganda in a way. It was uh, a way of them suggesting that Gaius and Lucius would, would succeed Augustus when he died. So the positioning of the theatre in Cartagena was uh, actually for uh, reasons of economy to save money. It was actually carved into a hillside, so as a way of avoiding building up the land and building stone to build the raised sections of the theatre, what they did uh, was actually uh, the seating, the raised seating area was actually carved or built into a hillside uh, to, to save them time and, of course, uh, money as well. The fascinating thing about this uh, Roman theatre is that over the uh, centuries it was kind of built upon by other, other peoples who'd come and spent time and to come and, and settled in uh, Cartagena. For example, in the third century AD, a market, a like permanent market, was built on top of the uh, main stage area of the theatre, um, reusing sort of existing materials which were found, sort of where the orchestra would have would have sat. There was a market built. Um, it was subsequently um, abandoned. They think historians believe because of a fire caused by the vandals in four. 25. By the 6th century, a market quarter of the uh, Byzantines had been established on the site. And then during the 13th century, um, the old cathedral of the city was built over the upper section of the, of the, of the theatre as well. So, yeah, it's seen a lot of changes over the centuries. And as recently as 1985, there were still uh, buildings, houses, little narrow alleyways and streets built on right on top of the theatre. And then it was in 1988 that the first remains of the theatre were discovered and uh, archaeological excavations started. And then the, rest of the restorations were finally completed in 2003. So how I'm looking at it today was renovated back to this condition in 2003. So amazing to think, as recently as the 1980s, that this, uh, you know, there were people living in these houses built on top of this, and this was just part of you know, uh, an everyday neighbourhood in the city. Um, I wonder what happened. I, I, I imagine that the uh, local uh, city council had to had to pay, had to buy the, the houses from, from these people so that they could uh, uh, continue the restoration work. But it's amazing to think that this was all completely built upon. But it's, yeah, it's really, it's very impressive. So when you come in, you walk in onto a, like a raised uh, section and then you can actually walk right into the, uh, into the seating area and all the way down to the, uh, to the stage. And as you walk around the semicircle uh, amphitheatre, you get this view across across the city, really, um, and it's completely hemmed in on all sides. You've got 
Well, as I'm looking now, so as if I was sat right in the centre of the seating area, looking directly square on to what would have been the, the stage. Behind us, the backdrop now, are, there's various building projects going on, there's scaffolding on other more modern, I say, uh, 20th century buildings behind. Uh, you can see various spires of churches nearby, uh, apartment blocks. Uh, so it's got this real uh, contrast. We've headed down from the Roman theatre. We've now taken about a 10 minute walk. It's very close, it's the centre of Cartagena. You know, it's not a huge city, as I said, it's about 200,000 people population. A 10 minute walk from the Roman theatre and you're right, and it takes you right down to the harbour or the Muelle. And it's really pretty. I am, I'm just standing here now. Um, there's, a, there's a lovely kind of uh, palm tree shaded square and then uh, a wide esplanade and then the port with uh, you know, a couple of hundred yachts moored up you've got cranes and like a working dockyard uh, just across the other side of the harbour uh, we've got an old disused well it says it's a restaurant a floating restaurant but it looks very closed doesn't look like that's been open for <laughs> for many years um, and then looking out across the harbour, you can see the harbour wall in the distance uh, with a little red and white beacon or lighthouse there uh, towards the entrance to the harbour. Uh, it looks more industrial, more, we've got some larger boats and ships moored up over there. Um, but the, the topography of the harbour is actually uh, really, really pretty. The reason it was actually became such a, an important uh, port because it was a naturally deep uh, harbour. And uh, looking at the topography, it's, uh, you, you got to the kind of, to the left and to the right of the harbour, it's kind of enclosed or encircled with, uh, well, really steep hills, really hillsides, I suppose, uh, that kind of uh, curve round, and it's almost a complete circle, except for the entrance to the harbour where they've built the harbour wall coming out. So you can see how this really lent itself to being a natural, uh, a natural harbour. I mean all of this uh, port front has actually only really been recently uh, opened up and sort of redeveloped and tidied up and beautified I suppose. Um, I think for a very very long time like Barcelona was for a long time. Cartagena was a city which kind of turned its back on the sea a bit really despite the port being you know such a vital function for the city but I think it was you know it was very sort of dirty rundown industrial and now um, Cartagena is being put on the map a bit more now they're kind of gentrifying and regenerating uh, the harbour side, the port side of the city. And it's, it's really beautiful. They've done a good job. I mean, this is happening in, happening in lots of uh, port cities in Spain. Another example uh, is uh, across in Malaga, where in the last few years they've uh, pumped a lot of money into regentrifying uh, the harbour and port side there. Um, you know, you can argue that yes, it commercialises it, you do get lots of bars and restaurants and shops and chains coming in that you might find anywhere, but at least people get to enjoy being by the water rather than just a load of disused warehouses and uh, boatyards that no one wants to see or visit. So we're strolling along the uh, the port of Cartagena 
uh, now we're off on a quest to find some lunch. I want some seafood. We've uh, identified <laughs> a local seafood restaurant with good reviews. Um, although I think it's going to be very busy at the moment. It's called El Techo Bajo, or the low ceiling. Well, that won't be a problem for me because I'm only about five feet eight. From what I've seen so far, really beautiful little city and quite off the beaten track. I think a lot of people, when they come to uh, Murcia, really head to the more northern coasts where there are a lot of, uh, where a lot of um, holiday makers go. There are a lot more holiday resorts and communities of people from other countries who've decided to live along those sections of the coast as well. But uh, Cartagena, yeah, seems still, I think, relatively undiscovered. And it's situated, as I say, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And, uh, and it's between the Mediterranean and an interior kind of salt water sea called Mar Menor, I think it's called, Mar Menor. So we found our place for lunch, had a 10 minute walk along the harbour and uh, we found a, a restaurante de toda la vida, a very typical everyday Spanish seafood restaurant, you know, not right in the centre of the city but just along the other side of the harbour and there's not much else around here apart from another seafood restaurant but the place is, as I'm sure you can hear, absolutely packed, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and there's only well, barely a table barely a table free and it's uh, uh, this kind of restaurants are my absolute favorite blue and white checkered paper tablecloth so you can spill as much on it as you want white tiled walls random pictures and flags and photos completely eclectic and uh, and just very simple and basic and this is called el techo bajo which means the low ceiling. And as I said, it's seafood. And what have we got here? We have ordered gambas a la plancha, which are lovely, beautiful, bright red prawns. Uh, we've got pulpo, which is a la plancha as well. I'm just arriving at the table now, perdón. An enormous plate of, ¿cómo se llama? ¿Cómo se llama? Fritura. Pitura, pitura mixta, so it's a mixed plate of fried seafood, and we've got sardines, prawns, Sardina. sardines, boquerones, which are the little like white baits, chiperones, a huge, beautiful plate of fried seafood, bread, plate of chips, and a nice ice cold beer from Murcia which is called Estrella de Levante. I've never seen before, only since we've been down in Murcia, so it's obviously very local to the region. It does actually say Murcia España on the label since 1963. So it's their own version of the Estrella beer, which you find in uh, other parts of Spain as well. So after a lovely lunch, we decided to go on a quest for a beach, which proved to be quite difficult near to Cartagena. There are lots of little coves and bays a few miles to the east of the city. They were all absolutely packed, packed to the rafters. The beaches near to Cartagena are only quite small, quite small coves, 
and so we got out, climbed down the cliff to the beach, decided there was no room, lugged our cool box with beers and everything else right back up to the car again and continued our quest along the coast. And we wound up our last stop um, before heading back to, to Murcia City is a tiny little beach called El Puerto de Portman. Now, Portman sounds like a very Anglo-Saxon name, so I don't know what the story behind that is, but it's called uh, the Port of Portman, and just inland from here is a little village which is just called Portman. And, uh, well, we walked, parked up the car, walked along uh, a sort of track. Uh, this whole area is surrounded by by quite rugged, jagged hills and cliffs. So it's quite, quite a dramatic landscape. And as I look back from the sea, as I'm sure you can hear, inland, on the top of the hills in the distance are about six big white wind turbines spinning at quite a pace. Although here on the beach, it's a nice gentle breeze. So we've ended up here. And it's not really a typical beach, I suppose, in the sense that the sand is sort of like volcanic black uh, sand. And there really aren't many people here, you know, relaxing, sunbathing, swimming in the sea. But the beach is is full of uh, people fishing. So from where I'm sitting now, I'm looking across the beach, which is only probably, I don't know, a couple hundred metres long in a sharp bend. Um, There must be about a dozen or so people fishing. There's a couple of women right in front of me stood just with their feet, just paddling in the sea, casting off their fishing rods. Um, Yeah, and since we've been been here about, I don't know, two hours, and more and more people every half an hour or so keep arriving with their fishing rods. So anyway, we've worked out that this must be a fishing a fishing beach, not a beach for swimming and sunbathing. But anyway, here we are. We've laid out our towels and our blanket and we've had a couple of beers. Uh, it's about 7pm in the evening. Perfect temperatures, nice cool breeze. It's not too hot. Um, we've dipped our feet in the sea. The other problem with this beach is as well as as soon as you get into the water, it's full of really sharp, slippery rocks, uh, which continue for about... 10 metres in, so it's not very comfortable to walk and paddle and swim in, uh, as I just found out by smashing my nail on my big toe to pieces um, just now, so (laughs) I think that's another reason why people come here to fish and not necessarily to swim. But as we were driving down into, uh, down to this beach here, through the little village that I mentioned called Portman, um, I mean it felt like really deep Spain, España Profunda occasionally you get these little glimpses of we pulled driving through this little village and there were uh, about six middle-aged guys or older i don't know in their 60s maybe 70s playing uh petanque or as probably more well known to us as petanque or boule in french or in france but it does exist here in Spain, in, uh, in small villages. I've seen it in lots of different parts of Spain. Um, but here called Petanque, uh, the game where you underarm throw the little metal heavy uh, balls, and try and get your ball as close to the little, I think it's called a jack or the little white ball. Anyway, for those of you who have ever 
been to France or read a year in Provence. Um, I always associate this with, sort of more with France and Spain, but no, it's quite big in Spain too, uh, Petanque, but as we were driving through this little village, you know, a group of men in a shaded piece of gravel, trees, little tables and chairs set up, their glasses of wine, such an idyllic image, all enjoying a game of Petanque. So it's Sunday morning, I've <laughs> slinked off and uh, ditched the family, I've crept out, I've gone and uh, gone for a little walk. We are back in Murcia city now and um, I've crept out for a Sunday morning coffee, very very quiet around the city and I'm standing right in the middle of Plaza Cardinal Belluga, which is uh, home to Murcia's cathedral otherwise known as Iglesia Catedral de Santa Maria in Murcia, the Cathedral Church of St. Mary in Murcia. And looking at it, it's very impressive. Um, and I would go so far as to say, really, it's the most impressive sight for me in the city of Murcia uh, itself. Anyway, it's uh, kind of Gothic style, but it's a kind of mishmash as well of different styles looking at it. Construction was started in 1394, I believe, reading the little plaque that I'm sitting by now, and was completed in 1465 in this Gothic style. However, the tower was completed in 1792 and shows a blend of architectural styles. The first two storeys are built in the Renaissance style, and then the third in the Baroque style. Um, and then it says here that the Bell Pavilion has a mixture of both Rococo and neoclassical influences and uh, yeah, the main facade of the cathedral, which is absolutely spectacular, was completed between 1736 and 1754 and is considered one of the best examples of Spanish Baroque style. So there you go, for any uh, architectural geeks out there, uh, there's a bit of background. So I've headed away from the main cathedral square uh, in the centre of the city and I've now uh, made my way across the city and, and I'm just alongside the river Segura. Yeah, Murcia is a river city. It does have uh, a river just running alongside the centre. It doesn't run directly through the centre. We've got some beautiful bridges though. We've got the Puente de los Peligros, which is uh, one of uh, Murcia's oldest uh, bridges or Murcia's oldest bridge, I should say. And that was completed in 1742. And just alongside from the river um, is a lovely uh, shaded park. And I don't know if you can hear. Yes, that sound. Now for me, that sound, it just evokes Southern Spain uh, and heat. What is that sound? Well, a lot of people say it sounds like electrical kind of buzzing from overhead cables. No, it's not at all. I'm sitting under uh, uh, lots of palm trees and um, that sound, as I'm sure many of you who live in uh, hot climes around the world, is the sound of uh, cicadas or cicadas or tomato, tomato, how we like to pronounce it, um, buzzing away overhead which is quite surprising because it's uh, still fairly early, um, although it's very hot already and I think it's the heat that causes them to, uh, to make that noise. 
which I believe is a mating call. I was doing a little bit of reading about them because I was quite intrigued. We do have them up in Madrid, but you don't hear them as often. On certain leafy streets, you hear them occasionally. But as I say, when you come down to the south of Spain, you, you hear them almost everywhere. But yeah, it's a mating call. It's a cicada mating call. And um, I didn't realise that they had like a kind of built-in drum to their body which they kind of inflate and deflate very quickly to create that noise. It's a bit like sort of blowing and sucking in and out of a, a, plastic, a small plastic bag really quickly. It creates that, 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 that uh, buzzing noise. And apparently, I think from mid-July until the end of August, it's mating season for them. So that's uh, why you hear them a lot at this time of year. And I also didn't realise that some species of these... Sorry, I'm just going a bit off track here. But I'm just going to share with you uh, what I found out about them. Uh, some species of these uh, cicadas can, can make a noise of up to 120 decibels. That's just one. one. One individual insect is capable of producing 120 decibels of, uh, of buzzing noise. So yeah, when you've got a lot of them together, you really notice it. So getting back to Murcia, Murcia City. What are my reflections on it? To be honest, as far as Spanish regional capitals go, nada especial, nada especial, personally. No offence to Murcianos, I'm sorry. But um, it's, it's a nice city. It's, it's quite a large city. The it's, it's the seventh biggest city by population in Spain, just after Malaga, which is in at number six, I believe. Uh, so it's got about 430,000 in the immediate city. Um, but yeah, apart from the cathedral, there's some the river and there's some nice bridges and uh, you've got a, a casino. There are some uh, remains of uh, an old Arab a city wall intact which I didn't get the chance to see to be honest but as far as it goes it's fairly ordinary it's a fairly ordinary workaday city I wouldn't say it's particularly beautiful compared especially compared with Cartagena which I really liked Murcia city itself I wouldn't say make a beeline for it especially if you're gonna head down to this part of Spain my recommendations certainly would be Cartagena I would certainly check out a lot of the beaches uh, along the coast of the region of Murcia. You've got the Mar Menor, which is quite touristy, but uh, again, quite an interesting topographical feature of the area. Kind of inland, I think it's Europe's biggest inland sea with salt water, which is right up next to the coast. Food is good in Murcia, great for tapas. Um, very cheap as well, I think. Maybe I would say I've noticed uh, bar prices, prices for food and tapas and drink. Well, I'd say much cheaper, but a little bit cheaper than um, Andalusia, you might say. I think Andalusia is very, very, very well discovered, uh, obviously, um, by tourism. And, and the region of Murcia as well, you've got lots of quite touristy beach resorts all along the coast. But I would say the city of Murcia itself, and as well as Cartagena, the region's second city, uh, fairly undiscovered, I would say. But would it be worth coming to Murcia, especially... Um, I would say probably not. Like I say, we ended up staying in the city of Murcia kind of by accident and uh, very last minute. And the reason we in Murcia is because it was the only place we could find accommodation, really. Everything else was, was booked up. 
uh, along the coast, obviously, because at this time of year in August, it's where everyone wants to be by the sea. So we found a place in Murcia, which is very affordable and really the only place available uh, in this part of Spain. So that's why we ended up in Murcia. Would I make an effort to visit it again? Probably not. They call the region the uh, Huerta de Murcia. Huerta can mean orchard or kind of market garden. Maybe if you're from the UK, we might refer to it as uh, allotment. But this region has got a very, very long agricultural tradition uh, for fruit and vegetables and also for flower production. Uh, the reason being is that the Huerta of Murcia runs really along the Segura River and so it's uh, sort of located in a low-lying, very fertile plain and this is what they refer to as the huerta. So in terms of fruit and vegetable production, it's a huge, huge uh, industry here in Murcia and I've noticed uh, since we've been driving to and from Murcia city across the region huge expanses of uh, fruit and vegetable plantations and also kind of unfortunately slightly scarred slightly scarring the landscape a lot of the plastic polytunnels these plastic greenhouses uh, where they're also growing vegetables as well you also get the sense just how arid the landscape is it does have very desert-like feel to it and indeed it does have um, uh, the badlands uh, of Murcia which we haven't had time to visit but these are the kind of uh, landscapes of Murcia which are reminiscent of, I don't know, Arizona or New Mexico in America and in fact they have used the Badland locations uh, in Murcia to film westerns in the past and there are some very famous western films which escape me now which I think uh, were filmed down here in Murcia in the Badlands of Murcia so yeah it has a very arid desert-like feel to it as well a lot of pine trees uh, in the sort of mountain ranges. One thing I have noticed walking around the city is you can tell that the Ayuntamiento or the uh, Murcia Town Hall really are trying to push tourism. I mean I would say if you do come here and you're walking around the city everything is incredibly well signposted. Any of the kind of notable landmarks around the city of which I have to say there aren't that many but I think uh, the local city hall are really sort of scraping the barrel in some some cases but you know that being said they've they've done a great job of, of of signposting the landmarks of the city of providing information every little landmark has a little uh, plaque in, in spanish and in english explaining uh, the history of the particular particular building or monument um, so you, uh, and, and it all seems very new as well this seems to have been recently installed so you do get the sense that they are trying to uh, push the tourism of Murcia and I've seen a lot of adverts around the city and around the region advertising Murcia as a kind of touristic destination as well. Okay, so that was this morning. I was walking around with you in the centre of Murcia city. We've hopped in the car again and we've driven down to the coast, about a 40 minute drive from Murcia city. And we are in a small seaside uh, resort, really is how I describe it, called Bol Nuevo. So our last afternoon down in, in the region of Murcia, driving up to Madrid this evening, Sunday evening. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it will be Monday anyway. So. Uh, this will have all been in the past. 
we're in Bolnuevo. Uh, it's a, yeah, quite a nice little seaside uh, resort. Really lovely sandy beach. Um, uh, very long. I mean, it's a couple of kilometres long beach here. Yeah. Quite busy. It's a Sunday afternoon in August. Uh, lots of uh, lots of locals out on the beach. But a really nice sandy, soft beach. Uh, you're kind of typical, kind of the resorts that remind me of my childhood coming to Spain on holiday, really. Uh, you've got little houses alongside the beach, palm trees, shaded esplanade and then you've got uh, a road running behind the beach and on the road you've got little shops and bars and small very basic restaurants little supermarket you've got all the kind of brightly colored inflatable uh, toys tied up outside the shops buckets and spades ice creams yeah all of that kind of thing but the interesting and notable thing about bol nuevo is that just behind the beach you have got these really interesting um, how can I call them? Kind of sandstone formations. So again, thinking back to the Badlands and uh, you know New Mexico, Arizona. I don't know. This is what it reminds me of. Right behind the beach, you have these really beautiful eroded sandstone formations, which I'm just standing by now, and they must be, I don't know, 50 feet tall. 25 meters, 30 meters tall, I don't know, something like that. And the interesting about them, you know, they're not closed off. You can go walking right up to them and touch them and you can climb up uh, right behind them as well onto this sort of sandstone cliff. And they've got all these, yeah, kind of wacky uh, eroded, sand, sandstone, wind eroded uh, formations, which are really, really, really beautiful. Uh, and quite unusual. I've never seen them anywhere else in Spain. I know that they do exist, but I've never seen uh, never seen them. And they've uh, yeah, and they've been uh, sculpted by water and wind over thousands and thousands of years. And apparently, uh, these sandstone rock formations contain uh, uh, micro fossils dating back 4.5 million years. So there you go. Well, I hope this has been a, an interesting uh, episode for you guys. I know uh, recently we've had lots of episodes which have been based around interviews. And, and this was totally unplanned, this trip, by the way. So I've just kind of, you know, put this together on, <laughs> on the hoof along the way without much planning, as you can probably tell. And I have uh, not brought my microphone with me, so I've recorded all of this just through my, through my mobile phone. A few little snapshots into Murcia for anyone who's thinking to come and visit this part of Spain. And also I just wanted to get out and about and bring you a few sights and sounds from Spain as well. I know many of your listeners really enjoy hearing Spain, you know, not just hearing an interview with someone, but actually hearing some background sounds and atmosphere and ambiente from Spain. So that's what I've uh, attempted to bring you uh, in this kind of roundup episode, whirlwind tour of a few places in Murcia. So I'll leave it there for this episode. Thank you as always for listening. Next week's episode will be an interview. I'll be interviewing an American couple, Sam and Veron in Madrid, who will be talking about vegetarianism and veganism in Spain. They're both vegans. They run a blog all about eating vegan and vegetarianism around the world. And they have put together a Madrid guide to vegan and vegetarian restaurants. And I thought it would be interesting to speak to them because, you know, Spain still being very traditionally a country of meat eaters, of seafood and fish eaters. I was wondering, you know, how difficult, how easy will it be or would it be to actually be a vegan in Spain? 
that's coming up next week. Uh, the following week, well, more of this. I'll be bringing you a couple of travel dispatches from Andalusia. As I think I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, next week we'll be travelling around Andalusia, starting in Merida. Another Roman uh, uh, amphitheatre beckons, I think. And then we'll be heading down to one of my favourite cities, as I mentioned, Cadiz. So I'll be bringing you sights and sounds and smells from the beautiful city of Cadiz. And from there, we'll be heading along the coast to, uh, well, the Costa de la Luz, to a resort called Conil, where lots of Spaniards go for the holidays. So I'm sure it'll be very busy, but there are lots of lovely beaches along there. We'll be exploring some beaches and coves. And then from there, we'll be heading back up along the western coast of Andalusia, heading towards the border with Portugal and hopefully, time permitting, making a little incursion across the border into Portugal and bringing you a few insights and comparisons uh, with Portugal and Spain from down there. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, I'm sweating buckets here (laughs) next to these sandstone rocks. So I'm going to head off to the beach and have a dip in the sea. And don't forget, if you're new to the podcast, When in Spain, got a presence on all of the usual uh, social media hangouts, particularly worth mentioning the Facebook group, When in Spain Facebook group. Go and find it on Facebook. Go and join it. Go and say hi to everyone and get chatting, sharing all of your questions and thoughts about Spain. Also on Instagram, I will be publishing photos from this little mini trip from Murcia on Instagram as well if you want to put some images to the places that I've described. When in Spain 1 on Instagram, go and give us a follow on there. Also on Twitter if you'd like to tweet me. And as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me directly, don't be shy. Uh, when in Spain 1, when in Spain the number 1 at outlook.com to fire me off a personal email and I will get back to you. Please do get in touch with any uh, feedback about the podcast and any questions you have about Spain. So from a rather balmy Sunday afternoon in Murcia, I shall leave it there and bid you adios. Adios.